Um, I'll ask all of you to turn to the book that we are are going through this spring. It's Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. And I would like to read our entire, entire chapter here. This is Joshua 1 all the way through verse 18. And uh, if you want a little game to play while I read, look for what repeats. Real exciting stuff here. All right. What is repeated? What is emphasized? Let's read Joshua chapter 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, that Yahweh spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' attendant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And I will not fail you, and I will not forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous to be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn aside from it to the right or to the left so that you may be prosperous wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way successful, and then you will be prosperous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be in dread or dismayed, for Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which Yahweh your God is giving to you to possess it. To the Reubenites, to the Gadites, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded you, saying, Yahweh, your God, gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but you shall cross before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and shall help them until Yahweh gives your brothers rest as he gives you, and they also possess the land which Yahweh your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and possess it, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you beyond the Jordan to the east toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we listen to Moses in all things, so we will listen to you. Only may Yahweh your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not listen to your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. 
Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you uh, for the setting in which it is set and how even understanding it gives us instruction and great hope for our lives today. And I pray that you would help these students to grasp the power and the strength that can come from your presence in their life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It might not seem that special to describe a simple at-bat by a certain famous Yankee player. When you just describe the bare facts of this certain at-bat, it really doesn't mean much. The, the basic facts of this play are the, the famous Yankee player, Derek Jeter. He comes to the plate and hits, hits the first pitch thrown to him. And he hits it right into right field. It was a line drive right into right field. Now, that's what happened, and it might not seem so significant to you at all. And it's not very significant to me at all. When I just, when I just kind of record the, the basic facts of what happened when Derek Jeter comes to the plate, it doesn't really matter much. But if I step back a little bit and give you a little bit of context, suddenly you realize how significant that one at-bat was. For example, uh, this at-bat led to an RBI, or what people call a run uh, batted in. Runs batted in, right? Is it plural? Plural. Plural, runs batted in. That means your hit caused somebody that was on base to get home. So that's significant. But it also happens that this at-bat also came at the bottom of the ninth inning, which is the very end of the game. That's significant. And it's also important to note that this at-bat came when the game was tied 5-5. to Oh, that makes it even more interesting, more gripping. But it gets better than this. This at-bat also came at the very end of the season. This was the last game of the season almost. And it gets even more interesting, more compelling, more fascinating when you learn that this at-bat occurred on September 25th, 2014 with 48,613 fans packed into Yankee Stadium. Well, maybe that means something to you. If you're, if you're Tate, it means, wow, that's, that's the end. Wait, matter of fact, that's a very significant date on the calendar. That is the last game that Derek Jeter played as a Yankee. Just think about that. His last at-bat as a Yankee player was at the bottom of the ninth with the tying run on second base, and he hits him in. It's a, it's a, it's a walk-off single, you could call it. That's very significant when you think about what is happening around the situation. When you just describe the at-bat, it's not that significant. But when you see the story that's coming, wow, this is this player's last at-bat. And he got to go out with such a Cinderella or a a storybook ending finish. That is so exciting. Not all players can say they went out with such a storybook ending. For example, one of our own's favorite, Barry Bonds. He, his last at-bat, led to a pop fly and out. So not every player gets the glorious storybook ending that Derek Jeter got. Few careers end that way. So amazing. And it's also important, I would think, to get a sense of the context and the situation that we're in in Joshua. If I was to just read you this chapter and say, isn't that wonderful and encouraging? It might not be as encouraging if I don't tell you a few of the details that really bring this passage to life. And that's what I want to do tonight. 
I want to show you the significance of some of these things that are being said to Joshua and to Israel. For example, Joshua, if you know anything about the Bible so far, Joshua is about to lead God's people into the promised land. This has been 600 years in the making promised land. This, is, this has been waited for for a very long time when God spoke to Abraham. And now the people are just on the edges of going into the promised land. This first chapter is all speaking and direction. It's very important that commands are given to Israel before they even cross the Jordan, which would have been the natural barrier to the promised land. And you could divide this chapter very easily into two parts. You see it there. You see Yahweh's charge to Joshua, and then you see Joshua's charge to the people of Israel. And, and you probably noticed something that was very significant here, right? The, the command, be strong and courageous, is repeated again and again and again. There's a few other things that are repeated, like I am giving you this land and other things like that. But did you notice the emphasis, be strong and courageous, be very strong and courageous. Everything, it could be said, depends on Joshua and Israel being strong and courageous now that they're about to enter the promised land. And I would say that this applies to you as well. We, as believers even, must be strong, must be courageous, if we are going to live lives that are abounding in God's goodness, if we are going to live lives that are not dominated by covetousness or greed, we must be strong and courageous, if we're going to live lives that are free from anxiety, if we're going to live lives that are truly satisfying, we need to be strong and courageous for very similar motivations that the people of Israel had. And so that's how we're going to look at it. Let us look just at this chapter really quick before we go to small group and examine what encouragements to strength and courage do we find to the people of God? What encouragements do we have? Remember, everything, everything depends on this. Your, 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 your life as a Christian will either plummet or soar based on whether you are strong and courageous. So what encouragements do you have to be strong and courageous, even from looking at the, the account of Israel and Joshua? Let's look at a few of them. We'll just give some encouragements. Uh, first off, be strong and courageous. Number one, God plan, God's plans don't falter. That's the first encouragement. God's plans don't falter. You should be strong and courageous in your life because you know the God who has plans that don't falter. They don't trip. They don't uh, fail. They don't drop. They don't hesitate. Here it's where it's a little bit helpful, once again, to kind of pull back a little bit and catch up to the drama of this story, right? It might be easy to read past verse 1 and not think much of it. You're not Israel, you're not in Israel's shoes, but maybe we need to take a moment to just get a sense of how big of a moment this was for Israel. For example, verse 1, this is coming, this moment in Israel's history is coming right after the death of of Moses. Now Moses was the most significant man in all of Old Testament history. The only person in Old Testament more significant than Moses is God himself. Moses casts a shadow over all of the Old Testament. He was the greatest figure for Israel. 
He was their great leader, everything they had known, particularly for this generation who had grown up with him as their leader in the wilderness. This was the leader, the only one they knew. He was the one who delivered them, who who caused them to be led out of Egypt. He was their lawgiver who, as it says in Exodus 33, used to speak to Yahweh face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. He had an exclusive relationship with Yahweh that they didn't have. Matter of fact, notice how it describes Moses. Moses is the servant of Yahweh. And notice there's special significance to even this description. Uh, Joshua is only Moses' attendant. Israel are, are just people. But Moses is the servant of Yahweh. He is a special relationship. He is the servant of Yahweh. Matter of fact, also Israel knew what it looked like to be without Moses too. You remember the golden calf? That's what happened when Moses was gone. So do you, do you, do you feel a little bit of the, the drama and the tension and the worry and the fear and the anxiousness that might be taking hold in these people's hearts? Moses is gone. How are we possibly going to do the things that God calls us to do without Moses? Matter of fact, we don't even have to turn that far to see how significant Moses is. Just jump over into uh, the other page if you have um, Joshua like I have Joshua. Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. Look at what it says about Moses, right? Moses. Now Moses was 200, uh, sorry, 200, 120 years old when he died and his eyes and his, and his eyes was not dim, and his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, when the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Uh, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And notice this, verse 10, And there was not yet arisen a prophet in Israel, and, and there has not yet risen a prophet in Israel like Moses, who Yahweh knew face to face in regard to all the signs and wonders which Yahweh sent him to do in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all of his servants and all his lands, in regard to all the mighty power, in regard to all the great terror which Moses did in the sight of all Israel. There was not a prophet. And even when this was written, maybe by Joshua himself, that greatness of Moses had not been beaten. So the people, uh, the people are probably rightly a little worried, right? It is right for us to appreciate the leaders that God puts in our life and to miss them when they are gone. But there is something very important for us to learn, even in these first few verses where we see the transition of leadership taking place. And notice first, Notice first, God's plans don't depend even on the greatest leaders that he elevates. God's plans don't depend. God doesn't, God doesn't falter now that Moses is dead. He doesn't hesitate. Notice what he says. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise. God's plans do not depend even on the greatest servants. They depend on God. And there's a good application for us there, right? 
There should be no pride ever in our lives, right? God can always easily say, next man up. You are not significant to God's scheme. No leader on earth is significant to God's scheme. God's plans do not depend on any leader, regardless of how high they are elevated, how greatly they are gifted. But there's also great encouragement even there, right? The, the spiritual equipment that God uses to powerfully work in this world are, are the equipment that comes from Him. Uh, it could even be a student fully convinced in the power and the truth and the sufficiency of God's Word. God can do great things with anyone, and it doesn't matter, right? God can lower one leader and raise up another, and there's great encouragement for us. As a matter of fact, it's mostly, it is greatly encouraging to us to think that God's people will pass and will fall, right? But the Word of our God will continue forever. The promises of our God do not depend on the people of God. They, they go past God. They endure forever. And that is encouraging. And here's where we see, right? Because God's plans, God's promises don't stumble or falter. We, as the people of God, should have strength and be courageous, right? Because God's plans do not falter. But let's look at another encouragement to be strong and courageous. Number two, God's presence doesn't drift. God's presence also doesn't drift. And there's another observation to make in this text. Notice the key to both Moses and Joshua's life. What was it? It wasn't that they were natural strategists. It wasn't that they had great natural abilities it wasn't that they were naturally tough, naturally daring, naturally fearless. What was the, the common denominator, the key ingredient to both of their life? Verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. God's presence. Matter of fact, that verse sounds very similar to God's calling of Moses if you look in Exodus 3, right? This is God's power, God's presence with his people. It doesn't necessarily depend on the greatness of the person, but the God who is with the person. Matter of fact, God's purposes are assured to happen because God's presence is seeking to accomplish them. We, God's people, should be strong and courageous because God is with us. But notice what God says. God says, I will be with you. And then notice, he uses these commands to himself. Matter of fact, if you look at that, I will not fail you, I will not forsake you. That's the exact same kind of structure that the Ten Commandments came in. Except, look at this, God is saying, I am going to be with you and I am making commands and laws to myself about what that means so that you can be strong and courageous. What does it mean for God to be with his people? Number one, he says, I will not fail you. I will not let you drop. You could abandon it. I will not abandon you. I will not leave you suddenly. I will not let you loose. Matter of fact, there's this verse in Joshua 18.2 where Joshua is scolding some of the Israelites for, for not being diligent, uh, having a slack hand with the work that God has given them. And God is saying, I will never have a slack hand with you. I will never let you drop. I will never fail. That's what it means for God to be with you. 
God will not fail in his purposes or in his work. Now, now we may argue with that and say, well, it sure seems like God is letting me drop. But did you know that's because you are after something perhaps in life that's different than what God is after. God is not after your happiness. God is after holiness. God is after sanctification. God's purposes, God's plans will succeed and God will not fail. God will not lose you or drop you. Matter of fact, notice also what he says, I will not forsake you either. I will not leave you behind. And this is incredible encouragement to God's people as well. Because even with God and his glory and the big plans for his glory that he has, he does not leave behind his people that drag behind in their sin. God will not lose his people. And we should be strong and courageous because of this truth, because of God's presence. Or you could say it a different way. We aren't strong and courageous to gain God's presence in our life. No, the believer is strong and courageous because we have God's presence in our life and the confident encouragement that comes from his presence. And to just kind of add on a little bit, uh, Moses and Joshua are not the only members of God's people that need to be strong and courageous, right? I would say to you that we need to be as well. And we need the strength and courage that comes from the trusting of God's presence in our life as well. You need strength and courage. I need strength and courage as well. We need the fruits of trusting in God's presence in our lives as well. Matter of fact, turn over to Hebrews chapter 13 and just see the powerful dynamic of God's presence in your life. Hebrews 13, when God's people struggle with covetousness, wanting something that God has not given them. When, when God's people aren't satisfied with what God has given them, when God's people struggle with the fear of man, God's people need to have strength and courage that comes from trusting in God's presence with them. You too, young believer, you too, when you struggle with wanting something that doesn't belong with you to you, with fear and anxiety, you need to trust in God's presence in your life. Look at what it says in Hebrews 13. Uh, this is to believers like you. Make sure that your way of life is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor Will I ever forsake you? So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Notice the, the, the treatment for fear, the treatment for the love of money, the treatment for the worry and anxiety that comes from feeling like you don't have enough money is remembering that the Lord is with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. The person with God in their life can be content in any situation, for the Lord is my helper. The person with God in their life can live with full certainty that nothing that comes their way is outside of his control. As a matter of fact, they believe that everything in their life is meant by God to create in them the kind of person that he wants them to be. God's presence in your life has great courage 
and great boldness that it can promote in you. Turn back to Joshua chapter 1. Let's look at another encouragement to be strong and courageous. Number three, God's presence is enjoyed through obedience. I'll say that again. God's presence is enjoyed through obedience. Now, we're going to take a shift here. We were looking at encouragements, but this is, this is more of a result of strength and uh, courage in your life. God's presence is enjoyed through obedience. We need to be very clear about something. All of this talk about God's presence, about him never failing or forsaking you, never leaving you, causing you to never be in fear, must not be misunderstood. God's presence does not always equal God's pleasantness in your life. Sometimes your life is very difficult because God is in your life. But God's presence can be enjoyed, but only through obedience. I'll try to explain it to you really quick. You could say it like this. Uh, I like to illustrate it like this, at least. It's very different to say, Dad's home when all of your chores are done, your schoolwork is over, and you know dad has something really fun he wants to do with you that night, right? It's very different to hear those words, dad's home, in that situation. Oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to enjoy this night. It's going to be wonderful. Versus hearing those fateful words, dad's home, and you haven't done your chores, and you haven't done your schoolwork, and you knew there was something that dad really wanted to do with you tonight, but because you haven't done your chores, haven't done your schoolwork, you're going to feel dad's presence in a different way. Right? God's, God's presence is just like that. It's always there, but you might not enjoy it the same way. What do you need to enjoy God's presence? The same thing Israel need to enjoy God's presence in the land. They needed to walk in obedience to God's word. As a matter of fact, okay, I'll just kind of break it down. Verses 2 through 5, we kind of see the assurance of God's promise. You could see this. God's already kind of predicting Speaking of the conquest as if it's already done, this is the assurance of God's plan. But then, in verse 6, all the way through verse 9, we see kind of the how-to of, of enjoying God's presence, or, or the how-to of getting this all done, how-to of enjoying God's plan. So we've got assurance, but also we've got God instructing them, and this is how you will do it and enjoy doing it. Verse 6, for sure, you need strength and courage to cause this people to inherit the land, right? You, that's what we think strength and courage is needed for, right? Strength and courage is needed to face these terrifying enemies that you're going to face in this land, these, these giants, these, these big walls. We're going to need strength and courage. But, but notice the, the emphasis. More important than strength and courage against your enemies, what do you need most with your strength and courage. Verse 7, only be strong and courageous to be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Right? Strength and courage is, is important for facing your enemies, but you need even more strength and courage to obey the word of God in your life. What's the result? You'll be prosperous. You'll enjoy life. You'll enjoy life in the presence of God. And disobedience, obviously, will lead to uh, the severity of God, the difficulties that come your way, because God's presence is with you. 
But, but notice this, strength and courage is particularly needed for what? Obeying. Obeying God's word. Now, why in the world, this is my question, why in the world would I need strength and courage to obey God's word? I understand the whole giants, mountains, enemies, walls kind of strength and courage, but why do I need strength and courage when I open my Bible in the morning to understand God's word? Well, it's because everything in the world around you and in the unbelief within you doesn't believe God's word and wants to make sure that you don't believe God's word because not only does it not believe God's word, it hates the God who writes that word. Or to say it this way, obedience to God isn't easy. That's why you need strength and courage. Obedience to God is tough. Obedience to God requires you to stand alone. Obedience to God means you're going to be going against the grain. For Israel, obedience to God meant you had to walk around city walls and look like fools. For Israel, obedience to God meant you had to put a higher emphasis on holiness than on strategy sometimes and put yourself in vulnerable positions to obey God. We'll see. Because holiness was more important. But for you, in your case, it means probably that you have to not trust your feelings. Instead, trust God's word. It means you have to go against the culture. It means you have to say things that other people will interpret as hateful. That is obedience to God. It takes strength and courage to obey God's word. It takes strength and courage to believe God's word. Because you're surrounded by a world. And you're surrounded by unbelief that hates God's word. But you can find strength and courage to obey God's word. But, but notice, and this is really vital. Uh, notice this. Notice what's so vital to obeying God's word. It doesn't just say you have to be strong and courageous to obey God's word. Notice verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Notice, what's the formula? You need to have strength and courage to what? Meditate on God's word day and night so that you may be able to do it, right? The obedient life comes from the meditating life, the life that meditates on God's word, thinks about it day in and day out. What does it mean? Is the life that obeys God's word. And flip it around in the opposite way, right? The life that never thinks about God's word, never meditates on God's word, is the life of disobedience. Just right there. You need to meditate on God's word if you are going to do it carefully. And you need to have strength and courage to do all of that. As a matter of fact, that's where your handout comes in. Notice this. This is, uh, this is the part of the show where I'm lazy, and I'm like, well, there's too many things to say, so I'll just give it to you in a handout format, and you can do it tomorrow for a quiet time. But here you see, uh, meditate much. I'm really good at my titles. Um, 
First off, I give you a definition of biblical meditation. And then secondly, I want to ask the question, what difference does biblical meditation make in your life? We're not talking about Eastern meditation where you're emptying your mind of everything and just letting anything in. We're talking about, talking about actively setting your mind to seek to understand God's word and asking yourself, what will it look like in my life to believe God's word? Matter of fact, let's go through uh, three of them. Who wants to read? Who wants to read? Okay, Tate, you read uh, one, number one, verse 11. Uh, you're going to read 33 through 34. Anybody else? Anybody else? Daring. Macy, the Giants fan, is going to read tw- 27. We'll go to 27, and uh, hopefully this will wet your uh, whistle. I'm not even sure what that phrase means, but whatever that means, hopefully that makes you excited to open this page up again tomorrow morning or in small group and look at it some more. But Tate, first off, what does Psalm 119 verse 11 say? Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Okay. What area of me does it, that is, uh, biblical meditation, shape? What area of me? What? Your sin. Your sin? close, but I'm not even talking about that yet. What what were you going to say, Tate? Your heart. heart. But notice how it describes your heart. How does it describe your heart? What is your heart? What does your heart do? It hides. Yeah, it's secret. I'm I'm sure. Okay, I'll I'll work with that. All right, so uh, notice the heart is in the secret place. I was going to go with that. All right. (laughs) That's true. I say that the core of you, the center of you, the hidden part of you. Matter of fact, I was going to go with this very, uh, this very same section to go Psalm 51 verse 6 that talks about how God seeks truth and wisdom in the inner hidden part. But actually, there's something else I want to emphasize here. Notice what it says. It says, your, uh, your word I have treasured in my heart. Your heart is the treasuring tool of your body. Your heart decides your values. Your heart decides what you want. Uh, what your heart treasures, your will does. You ever think about that? Look at that. God's word, when you meditate on it, it shapes the desires of your heart. It shapes what you treasure. It shapes you at the core of you and in your desires and your wants and your affections. That's powerful. That's powerful. What about uh, Psalm 119, 33 through 34? Um, Addison? Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe, and observe it with my whole heart. Okay, so you have ESV still. That's fine. <laughs> we'll still accept your translation. No, we'll be fine. Uh, so... Why is it so important to my life? Why is meditation, not just reading God's word, but meditating on it, remember, with the the heart that treasures, why is that so significant to your life? Any Any answers? But notice what it says. I'll I'll read it again in LSB just so everybody can hear it. Uh, Instruct me, O Yahweh, in the way of your statutes, that I may observe it to the end. Cause me to understand that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Notice what he's saying there. Meditation 
the understanding of the heart, the, the wrapping your will around the will of God, leads you to know how to obey Him. And isn't that exactly what we're talking about here in Joshua? We don't have enough time. There you go. Consider your whistle wet. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's jump back to Joshua 1. Joshua 1. That's exactly what Joshua 1 is talking about. You don't need to just hear my law once a year. Joshua. You don't need to just hear my law once a week, Joshua. You need to be meditating on it day and night your heart needs to be changed. You need to say to God, God, through meditation, get your will into my will. Change my will to reflect your will. Every day, it is the, the heart that is desiring, I want to know you, I want to understand you, and I want to follow you. That is the heart that can obey. And no other heart. Only the heart that is first begging God, Lord, teach me instruction that I might follow you. That is, that is the life that enjoys God's presence. The life that flows out of the heart and the desires of it. But let's look at more encouragements to be strong and courageous. More encouragements. Two more very quickly. Uh, number four. God's promises are always given as a gift. Once again, this is an encouragement to uh, strength and courage. God's promises are always given as a gift. Now, this might seem out of place. Maybe. This might seem obvious. Maybe. But I'm not sure if this point is ever said too much. But the word give, it appears there in verse 2. It appears there again in verse 3. It appears then again in verse 6, and it appears again in verse 11, and verse 13, and a few times in verse 15. It appears a total of eight times in this very chapter is very significant to the book of Joshua. Matter of fact, it appears 89 times in the book of Joshua. This chapter being one of the most times, uh, uh, chapter 22 being the most time, but that's not important. But what's, what's emphasized here is that God's land to his people, God's good gifts to his people, should be remembered as just that, gifts of his grace. And it's not because they were better than anyone else. And it's not because their fathers were better than anyone else. It is simply because God chose to love them instead of anyone else. Matter of fact, we could, we could go on and read lots of verses from Deuteronomy where God is trying to remind them and hammer this lesson home. And this is important for us to be strong and courageous because we need to remember how we have been given everything good from God. God wants us to remember and not forget that we have received many free gifts from Him indeed, but he also wants us to remember who we were when we received those gifts. We weren't righteous, more righteous, more mighty, greater than anyone else. It was simply because of God's love. Matter of fact, jot down this cross-reference. Deuteronomy 7, uh, verse 7. Yahweh 
did not set his affection on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest of all the peoples but because Yahweh loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers Yahweh brought you out of a strong hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh the king God wants to remind you that you have received many good gifts but you have not deserved any of them. It's not because you were mighty, not because you were great, but because God is great in his love. Because God's love, if you remember, is so amazing, so divine. That is why you are receiving this today. And it's also important to remember this is a free gift, because that also might help us to not get tripped up later in Joshua. God also wants us to remember and not forget that the people who are going to be judged in this land and dispossessed from this land are not any better than you. They are actually getting what they deserve. And they are getting what you would have deserved too had God not set his love on you. Matter of fact, look at what it says in Deuteronomy 9. So, Deuteronomy 9, verse 3. So you shall know today that it is Yahweh your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and he will subdue them before you so that you may dispossess them and make them perish quickly just as Yahweh spoke to you. Do not say in that moment in your heart when Yahweh your God has driven them out before your eyes saying, because of my righteousness, Yahweh has brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Yahweh is dispossessing them before you. You need to remember that this land is a gift. It is not something you deserve. And that is a message that we as believers need to remember as well. All of the blessings that come our way in Christ are a gift of His grace and not deserved. And I would even say strength and courage to do what is right comes from a heart that is humble and receives God's gifts and doesn't say, wow, look at me, I must be so great. No, I am not getting what I deserve at all. God's promises are always given as a gift. A final encouragement, God's promises also finally need an echo. This is also a final encouragement to be strong and courageous. And once again, uh, this is an encouragement that will make sense in a moment. God's promises need an echo. Your strength and your courage that comes from trusting in God's presence and promises actually will become an encouragement and strength and a cause of strength and courage to others that surround you in your life. Now, verse 18 well, verse, verse 10 through 18 should be included in our section, because if you notice, he ends verse 18 with them saying back to Joshua, only be strong and courageous. Notice, now they're speaking the truths of God back to Joshua. Now, this presents a question really quick that we kind of have to nail down a little bit to make sense of all this. Who are these tribes? Who are these Reubenites, these Gadites, this half-tribe of Manasseh? And where is the other half of him? Did he lose his other half? No, that's not important. Uh, there was such a big tribe, they split it up into two. Well, it, it happened like this. During the days of Moses, when they were beginning to conquer the lands, uh, 
east of the Jordan River, these three tribes said, hey, this is a spacious land. This is a good land. It's good for animals. And we've got lots of animals. Moses, could we just park here? Could we just stop here? This has got, a, uh, this has got lots of cities, lots of space, lots of barns, everything we need. And at first, Moses is a little bit, a little bit um, angry at them, upset at them. As a matter of fact, he says, why are you discouraging the hearts of the other people of Israel? You're going to discourage them just like those 10 other spies did who, uh, when 40 years ago, they entered the land to spy out the land and brought back an evil report. And they discouraged the hearts of Israel. Why do you want to discourage the hearts of Israel by not going into the land and helping your brothers? And of course, these three tribes are like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. This is what we'll do. We'll leave our women and our children and our flocks here. And we will go in. All of our men of war, every one of them, and we will help our brothers fully conquer the promised land, and then we will come back. And of course, Moses says, that's a good deal. I'll give you that. But make sure you go into the promised land. And if, and if you sin against the Lord in any way, and then there's that famous verse, uh, be sure your sin will find you out. Now, why do we have this little reminder by Joshua here? to these tribes to fulfill their promises to Moses. Moses is dead, and now Joshua takes up the mantle of Moses, so that makes sense. But, but why is this important here for uh, being strong and courageous? Well, it's because you, like them, can be a source of encouragement to others through your strength and through your courage. There's a few observations about their actions that have great applications to you as a student. Now, now watch this. Uh, their actions in going over with their brothers while leaving behind their families, their actions showed loyalty for their brethren. The faith and encouragement of these tribes, uh, they, they, they cared about their Western brothers. And, and the, the urgencies and the problems of their Western brethren mattered to them. Matter of fact, you show loyalty when you are willing to make sacrifices for someone else, right? You show loyalty to them. You're saying, your problems, your concerns matter to me. And I don't want to bring discouragement to you. Or their, you could say it this way, their actions also showed fear for God. They were thinking like this, to sin against our brothers by not going over would be to sin against our God as well. And we are sure that our sins will find us out. We do not want to sin against our God. They showed not only loyalty for their brothers, but also fear of God as well. And you can show fear for God as well. How? When you think about your brethren, but your sisters or brothers in Christ, as those for whom Christ has died. And you say, I'm going to choose to think well of you. I'm going to choose to pray for you when you are weak. I'm going to choose to seek to encourage you whenever I can, because you are precious to Christ, and therefore you matter to me. I'm going to fear Christ in that way. Because you were precious to him. Their actions showed loyalty. Their actions showed fear. But I'd also suggest to you, their actions showed incredible faith towards God. Remember, 
they are crossing over the Jordan, a natural barrier of armies. It's hard to get back and forth. They are leaving their wives and their children and all of their flocks behind. Not a man of war left. And they are trusting in God to protect them and their kids while they're away. How long did the conquest last? Seven years, approximately. They're trusting in God to protect and defend their family while they faithfully fulfill their obligation to the Lord. But there's one last thing that I think their actions do, and this is, this is the part that I've been looking, uh, looking towards this entire time. Their actions showed encouragement to their brothers, mostly. Their obedience, notice, was the opposite, had the opposite effect of grumbling and complaining. As a matter of fact, notice this, their obedience put them into a position where they could not only be an encouragement by example, but they could also be speaking words of encouragement to their brothers as well. Their obedience put them physically in this position. Their obedience put them in the geographical space where they could be, look at this, echoing God's word to their brothers and strengthening their hearts. Do you know that happens? Don't you want to kind of be a person who is an encouragement to others through your obedience? Your life of obedience puts you in places where you have the ability to encourage others both by your example and by your words. That's what happens. And notice here as well, their presence is a ministry. And this is an encouragement to me, and this is all I want it to be to you as well. Uh, You might not always feel like being with God's people. You might not always feel warm and mushy inside for the blessed house of the Lord. But in that moment, what motivates us to come? I don't want my absence to be a discouragement to anyone. I want to be an encouragement. Even if it's just the ministry of presence. That is the motivation as well for the people of God. Yeah, we've got lots of motivations to gather, right? We want to worship God, praise His name as He commands us to. But notice here just the simple concern for your fellow believers. I don't want to be a discouragement. I want to be an encouragement, even if my presence is an encouragement. That is what God's people are. They are to be an echo of encouragement to God's people. So here we have some glorious, glorious encouragements, right? God's glorious encouragements to us. God's plans, what? They do not falter. God's presence, it doesn't drift, right? And then God's presence is enjoyed through our obedience, right? Through God's word getting into our hearts, changing our will. God's promises are always a gift that gives us strength and courage. And God's promises can be echoed back. That also gives us strength and courage. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this evening in your word. And we pray that we would be sources of encouragement, that others around us would be strong and courageous through even our weak efforts in obedience. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.